Good morning. There we go. It works. How's everyone doing today? Good. Well, uh, I'm the pastor Nate that uh, Jeremy kept referring to. So for those of you that don't know me, if you have any questions about any of that, you can catch me right after church and I can answer your questions. Um, this was a great week. It was 4th of July week. And I just was curious, how many of you got to go out of town this week? Maybe just show of hands. Who went out of town, went to a cabin, went to Wisconsin or Iowa or somewhere around here? Okay. How many of you went out and saw fireworks? All right. How many purchased fireworks and shot those off on the 4th? A few. How many shot off illegal fireworks? Just kidding. Don't hold your... Oh. <laughs> I was going to say don't hold up your hand, but you beat me. Um, all right. What about swimming? Anyone go swimming? I think 4th of July week's a great time to get out to the pool or to a lake. Well, when I was a kid, um, I loved to go swimming. It was one of my favorite things to do. And the only thing that I didn't really like about swimming had to do with the fact that I was extremely nearsighted. Um, I had LASIK surgery done about seven years ago. Up until then, if you were standing this far away from me, I couldn't tell who you were. If you're holding up a hand, I couldn't tell you how many fingers you're holding up or if you're holding your hand up. So when I'd go to the pool with my friends as a kid, um, I always felt like I was playing a game of Marco Polo. You know, I could hear my friends, but I couldn't actually see them. And I remember there was this one day when I was 13 years old, and my friend Eric, who lived down the street, um, not the Eric that pastors this church, this was a different Eric, but my friend Eric, who lived down the street, he called me up, and uh, I lived in Minneapolis at the time, and Eric said, hey, there's this great pool in Brooklyn Center, and I've been going over to it, and they have these awesome diving boards, and I think it'd be really fun if you came with, and I said, let's do it. So I grabbed my swimming trunks, I grabbed my towel, we hopped on our bikes, and we biked out to this pool in Brooklyn Center. And I remember when we got to the pool, we walked in the locker room, I, I, uh, I took off my glasses, I put them in the locker, and I followed Eric pretty closely out to the pool, because again, I couldn't see where I was going. And while we're walking out there, I'm like, all right, let's get out to the diving boards. And he says, well, first you have to pass a swim test. And if you pass the swim test, then they'll stamp your hand, and then the lifeguards will know that you can go in the deep end and go off the diving boards. So I'm like, okay. And Eric's like, here, I'll do it first. So, Eric, and Eric was on a swim team too, by the way. He was a really good swimmer. So he jumps in the pool. He's gone for a few minutes. I can't see what he's doing. Um, he gets back and walks around the pool, walks up to him, and he's like, all right, I got the stamp. He's like, you ready to go? And I'm like, I still got to take my test. And um, Eric wasn't the most patient of all my friends. And so um, Eric, he's like, okay, you know what? Forget about taking the test. He's like, I have a better idea. And I had this feeling at that moment like this was something he had done before. I didn't know what his idea was, but he said, okay, take your hand and dip it in the pool. So I, I lean down and I dip it in the pool and I take it back out. And then he says, all right, hold my hand. And you know, I'm 13 years old. I'm like, what are you talking about? Why am I going to hold your hand? And he says, actually, no, just, just press the back of your hand against my hand. And so you can see where this is going. So we hold our hands there for a few seconds. I pull my hand away, and then I realize, okay, this is why we did this, because I have a nice duplicate stamp on my hand, and Eric's all excited. He's like, yeah, we're stamp buddies, you know, and we give each other a high five and low five. And um, Eric, I think he did, like, this uh, twisting uh, <laughs> cannonball into the pool. And so I walk up to the edge of the pool, and I'm about to jump in. And out of the corner of my eye, I notice... Like, I can see there's something there. I don't know what it is. And so I stop, and I, I take a step closer, and I'm looking, and I can see it looks like some sort of structure, like a, a ladder or something. And then while I'm staring at it, then I notice there's a foot coming out from the ladder. And I'm like, what? And then I look up, and I can see just barely that there's someone in a red swimsuit sitting there. 
And they had been just like three feet away. And as I'm connecting all the dots, I hear the, the lifeguard, the girl say, she says to me, she says, if you're that stupid that you would do that right in front of me, then you don't get to swim at the pool today. And she said, you're, you're kicked out of here. And she made me leave the pool. And that was, that was the only time in my life I had ever been kicked out of a pool. And I was, I was embarrassed, I was humiliated. I was gonna go down and let Eric know that I just got kicked out. I could hear him screaming, jumping off the diving boards, having a great time. Um, but the lifeguard, she said I, I just had to leave. So I grabbed my glasses, hopped on my bike, and I'm biking home and I'm just thinking to myself, I can't believe that I followed Eric's advice, that I followed his lead, and I'm like, you know what, whatever. I didn't want to swim at that pool anyway. It's a dump, it's, it, <laughs> it's a dive, you know, it's, it's just a bad pool, so I'm glad that I'm not swimming there. But that, that was the cost of following my friend, and today we're talking about the cost of following Jesus. And I use the term follow. We have a lot of followers of, uh, of Jesus in the room today, or another word for follower of Jesus is disciple. And before I really jump in or dive in to what I'm going to talk about today, I think it's good just to even talk about what is a disciple, because I think there's a lot of confusion over what is a disciple and what's not a disciple. So, you know, for example, does having a, a cross tattoo on my forearm, does that make me a, a disciple or a follower of Jesus? Does, if, I, if you're a guy, does growing out a beard, you know, like Jesus, because in all the paintings, Jesus has a beard, right? Does, does that make you a disciple? Or um, I have this T-shirt here. I'm going to tell you a secret. This is my favorite T-shirt, and you've probably never seen me wear it. Okay, how many of you thought this said Coca-Cola when I held it up at first? A few of you probably. All right, I bought this shirt two years ago in Arizona, and it's my favorite shirt. And the secret I'm going to tell you is that I've only worn it two times because I'm so worried that if I wear it, I'm going to get stains on it. So... How messed up is that? You know, it's my favorite shirt, but I never wear it. But is wearing witty Christian t-shirts like this, does that make you a follower of Jesus? Or, I guess the last thing, when you go on Netflix, if you only watch Christian movies, or uh, if you want to be a super disciple, maybe like Kirk Cameron movies, does that make you a disciple? Well, at Mosaic, we say that a disciple is just someone who, you know, knows Jesus and follows Jesus and wants to be more like Jesus. That's that's what a disciple is. And so today, like I said, we're looking at the cost of following Jesus. And when it comes to the cost, maybe you're wondering why would we look at the cost? Why does the cost of following Jesus matter? And I was thinking about this and I was wrestling with this. And I think that it probably matters for a few reasons. One, you know, we're consumers. Here in the U.S., we're consumers. And I was thinking about the fact that when we go to the store, like we won't buy anything without first looking at what the cost is. It doesn't matter if it's toothpaste or if we go to buy a car or a home or whatever. We always want to know what it's going to cost us before we actually commit to buying it. And two, I think as believers, as followers of Jesus, I think that sometimes we go through life and we get discouraged and disheartened and confused and upset because life isn't always as easy as we think it's going to be. Um, when we're following Jesus, we think sometimes that life's going to be perfect and it's going to be all about, you know, puppies and gumdrops and rainbows and flowers and all these good things. And I mean, following Jesus is awesome, but it can also be really tough sometimes. And Jesus says there's a cost. And so I think it's important that we get a better understanding on what that cost is. And so we're going to look in the scripture today. We're going to go to Luke um, chapter 9. 
And um, while you're turning in your, in your Bibles, or if you uh, don't have a Bible, if you want to pull out your smartphone and um, just follow along there, I, uh, let's, let's just take a second to pray. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for this time, and Lord, I pray that I pray that right now, um, God, that hearts would be open, that um, you can take away any, any uh, distractions, myself included. I pray, God, that you can just remove me from this and that um, while we uh, go through the scripture today, God, that um, everything that you want people to hear, that, that they'll hear and uh, that, that uh, we'll leave here today um, loving you more, Jesus. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to Luke. Um, first, we're going to go to verses 23 through 25. And then after that, we're going to uh, fast forward to verses 57 through 62. So let's read verse 23 through 25. It says, And he, Jesus, said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And so first here we see Jesus saying that we need to take up our cross daily. We need to follow him. We need to lose ourselves for his sake. I'm not going to really spend a lot of time on this. I'd like to just jump forward now to verse 57. In verse 57 through 62, in these verses, we're going to see um, some guys here that have some conversations with Jesus. And I think um, this is what I really want to focus on. So verse 57, let's start there. It says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And when I've read through this, I honestly think it's a little bit strange because not so much what the guys say here, but you have three guys here who are all saying to Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus responds with words about foxes and birds and the dead burying the dead and plows. And it's just really random, I think. And a lot of times we like consistency and we like formulas and we like to know that one plus one equals two. We like to know if I do this and if I do that, then I get this. If I get a cross tattoo, if I watch Kirk Cameron movies, that's going to make me a disciple. And we like formulas and Jesus doesn't really give any formulas here. And sometimes... Uh, when I'm speaking on a passage of scripture, it's fun to have some type of formula, make it all nice and neat. But I think in this passage today, there really isn't a formula, so I'm not going to try and create one here. But I do think that what we see here with these guys and with these conversations, I think there's a lot of wisdom that we can get out of it. And so I'd like to just um, break it down, go through each conversation, and um, let's dive in. So verse 57, the guy says, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So I'm going to call this guy right here Proclamation Man. Okay, I'm going I'm to dub him Proclamation Man because this guy, he's like, you know, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm going to follow you. And I think that 
I think that that should be the desire of our heart. I think all of us should want to follow God where he leads us. I think we should want to go where Jesus wants us to go. And I think a lot of us, too, can relate to, to what this guy is saying right here. I was thinking about how, you know, um, how, don't raise your hands, but how many of us in here have at some point, you know, been standing maybe right in this room and we're singing worship and we have our, our hands in the air and our eyes are closed and, you know, tears are coming down our cheeks and we're feeling God, we're experiencing God, we're being moved by God. And in that moment, we say to God, you know, God, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me. I think a lot of us have probably said that to God at some point. Or on the flip side, maybe, uh, maybe some of you have found yourself in a, in a tight spot, you know, in a sticky situation. And you don't know how you're going to get out of this situation. And so you start bargaining with God and you're saying to God, God, if you can just get me out of this, I'll go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll follow you wherever you lead me. You know, I'll go to the jungles on the other side of the world and be a missionary. You know, I'll, I'll go start an orphanage and sell everything I own. Or I'll volunteer every other week in the Mosaic Church nursery with the toddlers. I'll, you know, I'll go do whatever you want me to do. I think a lot of us have probably done that and made a big promise to God like that. And again, that should be our heart. We should want to follow Jesus where he leads us. But the thing is, I think that God knows that um, talk, I don't know how to say it, talk is cheap. Like, maybe you've heard the expression, um, you know, don't just talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. It's easy to say things, it's another thing to do it. Uh, New Year's resolutions are a great example. I was I was trying to remember back to what, I know I had a New Year's resolution that I made this year, and I can't remember what it was. I remember, I remember where I was standing, the friends I was with, I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to forget it this year, I'm going to accomplish it. And here it is seven months later, and I can't even remember what it was, which is really sad. But I think Jesus knows that. It's easy to say you're going to do something. It's another thing to do it. And so Jesus says, stop. He says to this guy, count the cost. Weigh the cost. What is this going to cost you? You know, he doesn't maybe say it in those exact words. Um, he says more words about foxes and birds and things like that. But this is what he's talking about here because Jesus knows that it's a big deal to follow him. It's a big deal to follow Jesus. And it's not something to be taken lightly because there's always a cost, and this is on your note sheet too, there's always a cost to following Jesus. And one thing that following Jesus costs us is our identity. And I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it our, our earthly identity. We all have our own earthly identity. And this is, this is how we um, perceive ourselves. This is who we believe we are. This is how we project ourselves to the world. And some of us, we've We've developed and built these earthly identities based off of things like uh, what we've accomplished or who we know. You know, you're, you're always maybe name dropping, like, yeah, I know this person. Now they're a famous athlete or musician or actor. Or maybe we base it off of uh, what we're going to do someday or what people say about us. And some of us might argue that we didn't create our own identities. We might say it was something that was given to us, maybe as a child. You know, people around us that were well-meaning said, you know, um, Justin, you're a great athlete. And that's what everyone tells you as you're growing up. And so then you begin to embody that. And you think, okay, that's who I am. I'm a great athlete. Or, you know, I'm a great artist. Or I'm a great musician. Or that's what people tell you. And so you believe it. Or maybe it's on the negative side. Maybe they tell you things like, you're worthless. Or you're no good. Or you're never going to accomplish anything. You can never do anything right. 
and that becomes what you believe your identity is. And when we follow Jesus, um, we're going to begin to lose. We lose that earthly identity because what happens is as we encounter God and as we're connected with God's heart, it changes us. It changes us in a way that nothing else can and we can't help but be changed. And we become more like Jesus. We become more like the children of God that we are. God has created each and every one of us, all of us. We're all children of God. We're all unique. He has a plan for each of us. He knows who we're supposed to be. And as we become more like Jesus, as we experience God's love, we become more like children of God and we lose that identity. And so I say it's a loss. I say it's a loss to lose your earthly identity, but really, it's a gain. It's such a big gain. And, you know, this doesn't apply to us so much, but depending on where you live in the world, following Jesus can mean that you lose your life or your family or your status, your home. It can mean persecution. And we talk about sometimes that we're persecuted here in the United States, but, you know, we don't experience persecution like some, some Christians do when they follow Jesus. Here in the U.S., Sometimes it feels increasingly like we are going against the flow when you follow Jesus. It's a little bit tougher. Sometimes maybe if you've just become a Christian, even you might notice that some of your friends you used to hang out with don't really want to hang out anymore. And, you know, to their benefit, maybe they just don't know how to relate to you anymore. They, they don't know how to connect or how to talk with you or they know something's different. But anyway, it can sometimes feel like we're going against the flow. And I heard someone say to me recently, and I love this, they said, it's the healthy fish that go against the flow. It's the dead fish that go with the flow. So I want to encourage all of you, don't be dead fish, be the healthy fish. Don't be afraid to go against the flow when it comes to following Jesus. But anyway, there's a big cost to following Jesus. And so if you're wanting to follow Jesus, if you're wanting to be his disciple, he, just, he wants us to consider the cost. You know, because it's one thing to be saved. It's one thing to ask for God's salvation. You know, to ask God to forgive you of your sins. And it's a totally different thing to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. You know, salvation, that doesn't cost us anything. That's free. But it costs God everything. Jesus died, you know, for our salvation. And uh, salvation, that occurs in a moment. And discipleship, that takes a lifetime. Salvation is something that God does for us, and discipleship is something that we do with God. So so that's the first guy. That's proclamation, man. Let's go, to, let's go to guy number two. Okay, so here Jesus says, follow me. And the guy says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so I'm not talking monster trucks here, but I call this guy Gravedigger. That's just my, <laughs> my uh, that's what I'm going to dub him here. And this part of the story has always bugged me because you have this guy and he's saying, Jesus, I have a dead father. I want to bury my father. And Jesus is like, no, don't, don't worry about your father. Just come follow me. Like, what's, what's going on there? It seems a little bit harsh, right? Well, biblical scholars who are much smarter than me say what's probably going on here is not actually, this guy probably doesn't actually have a dead father because in Jesus' day, when someone died, they were buried within one or two hours. So his dad probably isn't laying back there dead. But what they say is most likely going on here is this guy is probably saying to Jesus, Jesus, my dad, he owns some property, he has a business, 
and someday my dad's going to pass away. Someday I'm going to inherit his business. And when that day comes, it could be five years, it could be 20 years from now. Then, Jesus, I'm going to need to bury my father. I'm, I'm going to take care of the business. I'm going to tie up my loose ends. And then, Jesus, at that point, I can follow you. It's probably what's going on here. And also, again, scholars say that when Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead, what he's probably talking about here is spiritual death. Okay, when, you're, when you're physically dead, you're dead to physical realities. When you're spiritually dead, you're going to be dead to spiritual. When you're spiritually dead, you're going to be dead to spiritual realities. And so I have to believe if this guy is standing here face to face with Jesus, and Jesus is saying to him, follow me, and the guy is saying, I can't, I got stuff to you know, take care of someday, someday Jesus, I have to think that there's probably some level of spiritual deadness going on here. I'd like to think that if I was this guy, if I was standing in his shoes or sandals, if I was back there standing there talking to Jesus, I hope that I would have dropped everything to follow him. And uh, yeah, are we, are, we, are we ready to drop everything to follow Jesus? Something to think about. And let's take a step back here too. What I don't, want to make, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but what's the first thing that the guy says here? Anyone catch this? He says, me first. Jesus is talking to him about following him, and, and he says, me first. He says, let me first. And if you're going to follow Jesus, your attitude can't be me first, okay? It needs to be Jesus first. That's what Jesus wants. You can't be a disciple of Jesus with a me first attitude. Because we need to know that when we're a disciple that we're going to need to make Jesus the Lord of our lives, not just Savior. Okay, a lot of us, we're okay with having Jesus as Savior, but we don't really want to make him Lord of our lives. And Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's not just one, he's not just the other. And I think it's sort of like if I were to, say, go to Jeff's house, and I knock on his door, and Jeff answers the door. I'm sorry, I don't know where you live, but let's just say I do. And I, I knock on your door, and Jeff answers, and he's like, Nate Erickson, how you doing? He's like, I got a game, I got a, a Twins game on the television, or a Wild game. You got your Wild hat. <laughs> I have pizza in the oven. Nate Erickson, come on in. And so I start to walk in his house, and Jeff says, wait. He says, Nate can come in, but Erickson needs to stay outside. I'd be like, what? How, how does that work? I'm not just Nate. I'm not... You can't separate, I'm Nate and I'm Erickson. I'm Nate Erickson. You can't separate the two. I don't know, maybe it's a bad analogy, but that's the best I could come up with. I think that you can't separate Jesus as Lord from Jesus as Savior. He's both. And so we need to be ready to switch our mentality from me first when we follow Jesus to Jesus first. We need to be ready to make him Lord. Okay, let's go to man number three. He says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to call this guy Mr. Adios, Mr. Hasta luego or hasta la vista. That's what I'm going to call this guy. So you've got this guy here and he's saying to Jesus, I, I got to go say goodbye to my family. And Jesus, who's a carpenter, um, starts talking about plowing. Like, I grew up in, I grew up in Minneapolis, and um, I don't know anything about farming. 
I don't know anything about plowing, but I was doing some reading on ancient plowing, and I'm going to tell you all something that I learned that I thought was interesting. This is going to blow your minds. I learned that, and I'm not quite done yet, so don't think that we're done because I hear some music. I'm not, I'm not quite wrapping it up yet. Um, I was doing some reading about plowing, and I learned that ancient plows are different than plows today. And they didn't have John Deere tractors back in Jesus' day. And so when you're out in the field and when you're plowing, you've got to keep your eyes set in front of you because there'll be rocks in the field. And if you run into a rock, there's a good chance you're going to destroy your plow, you're going to mess it up, which could be devastating to you and to your family. It could totally mess up your harvest that year. And so you have to keep your eyes on the plow. And I think it's a lot like um, driving with your cell phones. You know, not to make anyone feel guilty, but if you're driving down the road and you have your cell phone down here, you can't be texting while you're driving, right? If you're going like this and you're looking at your phone, sooner or later you're going to crash. You, you have to keep your eyes on the road. You have to keep it focused in front of you. And when we follow Jesus, Jesus is saying, we got to keep our eyes on him. we got to stay focused for it. Otherwise, we're going to crash. You know, it's not going to go well. And so a third cost of following Jesus is that we need to stay focused. And I say it's a cost, and maybe it might not sound like a cost, like, okay, we have to stay focused on Jesus. What's, what's the cost in that? I would say it's a cost because how many of us have tried to take time every day to pray or to take five minutes a day to read our Bibles? We have so many things around us that are competing for our attention, telling us maybe these physical objects that we have don't actually speak to us, but it's like they're speaking to us, and they say to us, I'm more fun, I'm more relaxing, you know, the television is saying, you can veg out when you hang out with me. You can't veg out when you're reading your Bible. We have friends and we have, I don't know, we have all these different things that are competing for our time and attention. And it is a cost because we're choosing to give up other things to focus on what matters more, to focus on Jesus. So that's the third cost of following Jesus is staying focused. And so, again, to recap, we need to count the cost. We need to know that when we follow Jesus, it's going to cost us our identity. We're going to lose our earthly identities. We also need to know that we're going to have to switch our mindset and our mentality from me first to Jesus first, and we're going to have to stay focused. Those are some of the costs of following Jesus. And I think back to these conversations that Jesus has, and I, and I think back, why does Jesus respond the way that he does to these guys? I think he responds the way that he does because I think he knows their heart behind the words. He knows that they aren't quite at the point where they're ready to really make him Lord of their lives. They haven't taken the time to stop and count the cost. They don't exactly get what they're actually saying. And I think that, I think that Jesus, he didn't, he didn't kind of gently push these guys off. I, I don't think he did that because they weren't, um, because they didn't have it all together. Because I think when we look in the Bible, we see that the disciples didn't have it all together. So if Jesus had had that sort of expectation, I don't think he would have had his 12 disciples. And Jesus doesn't say to us, get all your stuff together, you know, follow me, and then I'll go to the cross for you. Jesus says, follow me because I went to the cross for you. That's what Jesus says. And so I want to encourage all of you here today. Rick, now you can cue up the music if you want to. The band can come up. I just want to encourage all of you today, 
you know, to think about the cost. Maybe the cost will be different for some of you. Maybe it's going to cost each of you different things, but there's always a cost to following Jesus. How can you be better prepared for when those things come along that you have to do to follow him so that you don't get down and you don't get disgruntled and you don't get discouraged? I'd like to take another minute to pray. Just uh, ask you to bow your heads. Jesus, again, I, I thank you for today, and I thank you, God, for this time that we have together. It's such a privilege to be able to get together and spend time talking about you, spend time talking about God's word. Thank you, Jesus, that we can learn together, that we can grow together, that we can support each other. I thank you, God, that, Jesus, that, you know, we didn't talk about it too much today, Jesus, but you were the ultimate sacrifice. I thank you for what you did on the cross. And Lord, none of the things that we talked about today, none of these things compare to what you had to do. But Jesus, I pray that you can help reveal to us, for each of us, different costs of following you. Help us understand these things so that we can be better, better disciples, better followers, so that we don't get discouraged. So that Jesus, we can follow you with boldness and joy Thank you, Jesus, for what you've revealed to us today. I pray a blessing on every single person in here today, God. I pray for their weeks. I pray that they all have amazing weeks. I thank you for them, Lord. Uh, we pray this, Jesus, all these things in your name. Amen.